Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. It's great to be anywhere. <laughs> I mean, what do you what what, what do you do you say? We we are finishing up the Easter season, and we're moving next Sunday as Ascension Sunday, which this is just a little commercial. The ascension of Jesus into heaven was one of the dominant themes in the early church that's often now neglected, how important it is that he was raised above all rule and authority. So we celebrate that next week, and then we move into Pentecost. But we're finishing Easter as a season, and um, we're finishing a series about the impact of the resurrection of Jesus for our lives. And so I'm going to give kind of a recap to Michael's series of sermons, so you could think of it kind of as a rebuttal. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) So Michael began with the impact of the resurrection in our lives with um, John chapter 10, verse 10, where the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus is saying, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. And and we see from this that Jesus has an intention for every human life, and it is for life. This life isn't automatic. We have to contend for it because there's a thief who also has an intention for every human life, and that intention is for death and destruction. So we're in a battle between the death that the enemy brings and the life Jesus brings. And Michael posed the question, which voice are we listening to? Jesus meets us in this battle. Next, we looked at John chapter 11, which is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, was raised. He died first, and then he was raised. That's the order. And uh, here we get the great pronouncement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The raising of Lazarus is a historical event. This really happened, but it's also a picture of the resurrection Jesus brings. He is the resurrection. He is not simply the facilitator of resurrection. It is found in him. Jesus meets us in both our grief and he meets us in the face of death. Then we looked at John chapter 21, which is the restoration of Peter after Peter's denial of Jesus. Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Here, Jesus demonstrates that failure does not have to be the end. He meets us in our failure. Last Sunday in John chapter 20, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The living Jesus brings the comfort of his presence in the midst of the fears of the disciples. Jesus meets us 
in our fear. All through, we see Jesus bringing life, affirming life, being the life. Our gospel readings today, we put together the two summary statements in the gospel of John, and the New Testament scholars get are employed to squabble over how these relate to one another. Um, Jesus did so many things they couldn't be counted. But the writer of the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said, but I have chosen these things to tell you so that you may come to believe and trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ of God. And by entering this trust relationship, you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of the gospel of John, he's saying, is to is to hold forth Jesus as the source of life. And and if we read the gospel of John backwards from this verse, we see that life is the dominant metaphor used about Jesus 30 times. Either Jesus claims to be the life or the words life is said of him. And some of the verses we reviewed are some of those verses. Jesus' resurrection changed everything for his disciples, his followers then, and it changes everything for us now. So I'm I'm kind of calling this sermon um, The Resurrection Past, Present, and Future. Because if the resurrection is going to change everything for me, I have to think hard about my life, past, present, and future. And I I don't know how to describe what I'm going to try to do. It's kind of an experiment. I've got these PowerPoints, which in itself is an experiment (laughs) for someone my age. right? When I go get a phone, the question I ask is, can I make phone calls on the phone? That's all I want, right? You know, I don't want all this other stuff. So if we can put up the first slide, resurrection, past, present, and future, what I want to think about with you is how we navigate our lives. So the next slide, how I navigate my life. Look how thin I am. (laughs) Clearly a little wishful thinking, right? I'm walking, minding my own business. Each human being has the same task, and that's to navigate our lives the best way we can. Everybody we meet is is in the midst of wrestling with this task, and those of us who are followers of Jesus are engaged in this task as much as anyone else. And so how do we bring the resurrection into how we navigate our life? Next slide. Our past clings to us. My past clings to me. I, I put the suitcase up there because we all have baggage, right? We, we, our past shapes our present. This is why we call it baggage, because we still carry it with us. And we, we haul it around as we're changing planes. And our baggage can come from our sin, our rebellion against God, um, also our failure. We saw this in, in the apostle Peter, how, how his failure at one moment burdened him and and it took the work of Jesus to penetrate that. Sometimes we experience hurt, and um, sometimes it's very specific hurt in our past. Sometimes it's um, a vague sense of being hurt. We may have a broken heart. Um, 
There are practices that we've developed in our life, coping mechanisms that we carry with us. We have voices in our head. All of us have voices in our head from our families and our uh, experiences about who we are and what we are worth. And even the best of families um, impart unhealthy voices in, in part to their children. And I have both received this and done this to my children. We used to joke that the, the reason you have children is so you can torture them. And then when our children grew up, we realized that was actually true. <laughs> we, we, we've tortured them. Um, we have body image things. That's why I picked a really thin person up there, right? Because wishful thinking. Next slide. So the, our past clings to us, and then my present response to my past is often that I dwell on it. I allow the past that I bring with me um, to become the focus of my attention. So I dwell on my sin and my failure and my hurt. I Sometimes I inhabit the hurts of the past and I can't seem to shape them. I keep knocking the scabs off my old wounds. I turn inward. It It is it's incredibly hard to accept uh, the forgiveness of others for how I've hurt them sometimes. Um, I don't forgive other people, or sometimes I don't forgive God for the hurts I feel. I continue in patterns of hiding and hurling. I got that phrase from a book I read in the early 80s that talked about the Genesis passage when when God calls Adam um, out on his sin. The first thing Adam does is he hides, and the second thing he does is he hurls. He blames Eve that woman whom you gave me. So he's really actually also blaming God. And these are the patterns that that um, sin produces in us and hurt. Our te- my tendency is um, to hide. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a hider than a hurler. It dawned on me one day, I don't know how long I have to tell this story. It dawned on me one day, I'm not a very open person. I don't really open up. So I went home and told my mother, you know, I'm learning I'm not very open. She said, I could have told you that. <laughs> like, one of the one of the my coworkers, you know, I'm learning I'm not very open. She said, You're just learning this now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm also not very insightful, apparently. <laughs> but the, with the hiding and hurling for self-protection. So sometimes our past clings to us in such a way that we we have these patterns of, of self-protection. Slide, uh, next slide. As a result, this changes my relationship to the present. I can see no way out. My past distorts my view of the present. Who am I? Will I amount to something? Am I actually worthy of being loved? This is a very deep thing. Um, but in addition, there are a couple of other things about our presence that are highly tricky. There is a vast conspiracy to seize our attention and focus it on our circumstances. I use the word conspiracy um, almost literally, right? You think about social media and news media. And I, I have to tell myself the number one goal of news media is to keep me watching. And the number one means to achieve that goal is to raise my anxiety. Right? So the people in the business of news 
I mean, I'm, I'm being a little overly dramatic here. Um, for the most part, aren't concerned about my anxiety. They're concerned about me watching so they can sell advertising space. So the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How does the thief work? Well, the thief works through focusing my attention on my circumstances in the present. It's not very hard. The thief doesn't have to work very hard because I already have all these grooves in my brain and my, these practices of thoughts that lock in on, on seeing my present through my circumstances, through the things that seem hard or through the voices in my head about my past. I'm habituated to feel impotent. Things are bad and I can't do anything about it. So, my default relationship to my present is shaped both by my relationship to my past and by the forces at work in our culture and in society um, that present hopelessness. Next slide. So therefore, I see my future as bleak. I project my present situation into the future. My ability to see... My vision is shaped by my past and how I relate to my present. Certain things are invisible to me if I allow these things to shape my vision in certain ways. I cannot see the good and the true and the beautiful even when it's right in front of me because I'm, my, my habits of seeing are, are distortions based on my past and my present. So therefore, I see my future as bleak. It's bad for me. The promises of God are swallowed up in the projections of the pessimist. And even though Jeannie keeps telling me I'm an optimist, even I have this pessimistic streak. And, and the result can be that I don't see God in my future. I, I know the answer to all the questions, but I, I don't embrace the reality of God in my future. Next slide. And hopelessness dominates. I think we live in a deeply hopeless generation. I'm not going to say that our generation is more hopeless than others, because some of you who are my age remember in elementary school having air raid drills where you dove under the desk in case the Russians dropped nuclear weapons on us. That raised our anxiety a little bit. (laughs) I remember the day JFK was shot. The girl who sat in front of me said, if those Russians come into our country, I'm leaving. And I thought, well, that's probably a good idea, right? <laughs> now I think, where was she going to go? <laughs> but Canada, right? We're all going to follow Jared. <laughs> exactly. Hopelessness shapes. I, I feel like I can't change. The world can't change. Things won't get better. God has disappeared, and I'm stuck. That's kind of the picture of hopelessness. And I think it, it, it often, I don't mean this to be comprehensive, but it's often because of how I relate to my present in terms of what, what about my past I hear. What voice do I listen to? Next slide. How can I navigate with hope? Christian hope is about, it's a relation to the past, a relation to the future, and therefore a relation to my present now. Next slide. The past is the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
that regenerates me. This is the reality of my past. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And he's not just talking about himself, right? He's talking about all of us. We have been crucified with Christ. My sins are forgiven. My failure is understood by God who loves me deeply. My hurt can be healed in the presence of Jesus. My heart can be mended because I am a chosen, adopted son. This is reality. These things actually happened. This is the thing sometimes we have to remind ourselves. You know, Jesus really died. As Francis Schaeffer would say, if you ran your finger along the cross, you would have gotten a splinter. That's how real the cross was. Jesus was really raised from the dead for us, for me. So that's the past that is the foundation for a life of hope. Next slide. In the present, I, I, I need to dwell on his finished work. I need, to, I need to adopt a relationship to that reality, that past, that shapes my present, rather than being shaped by my other past. I meditate on his work for me. The hardest thing for me is to think, not that God loves human beings, because human beings are, you know, they're kind of nice. It's that God loves me. His work for me. I have to invite him into my scabs and my scars. I have to grow into accepting his forgiveness and learn to forgive others out of that experience. Next slide. Therefore, I see my present differently. I see it now in light of his work. His past work reshapes my present. I draw on his power to resist the effects that conspire to keep my mind trapped in the present. The power of his spirit, the power of his word, the, the power that comes from the community of people faithfully following Jesus. I have to develop habits that help me focus on these realities. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the gravitational pull in my life is towards the other past. I need to develop the habits of meditation, of being in the word, of being together with other believers to, to taste the reality that his work touches and shapes my present. Next slide. Then I can see my future as good. Remember, the challenge is vision. What is going to clear my vision? My vision will remain cloudy if it is shaped by the past of my hurts and the present of my fixed circumstances. But as I'm meditating on the work of Christ, death and resurrection for me, my regeneration and forgiveness, the reality of what God has done for us, the, the fog begins to clear from my vision, and I can begin to see my future as good. My destiny is the new heavens and the new earth. That's why we read that passage. He will wipe away every tear. There's a great hymn that talks of Jesus and says this, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified talking about the wounds of Jesus, but I think it also 
is true of our wounds. Our wounds in beauty glorified will be visible. Our wounds and our scabs will be trophies of the grace of God. And we will bear them not in pain, but in triumph. That's part of making all things new. That is God's plan. I can see my future is good. My earthly future I can also see is good. Not just the new heavens and the new earth, but the same old heavens and the same old earth. Because I can change. Even now, as an old person, the Holy Spirit can work in my life, right? And continue to produce these things like love and joy and peace and patience, the very things I long to be and experience. It's the promise of God, his power to reshape my present so my future, I can see it as good because I can become more the person I want to be than I am right now. He walks with me into my future through the suffering and the grief and the pain and the sorrow into joy. I have to reflect on this. I can see my future is good. Next slide. Therefore, hope can fill me in the present. Christian hope can fill us now. Hope is a relationship, first of all, to the future where we see it as good, but Christian hope is we see the future as good because of what was accomplished in the past, the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the difference between Christian hope and normal optimism, or just being a positive person. Now, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic and positive, except if you're optimistic, you'll be disappointed for most of, most of your life. Jeannie always says she, she likes to be a pessimist because then she's always surprised by the good things. And, uh, but uh, naive optimism is naive because it's not based on realities. Christian hope is grounded in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and how he, not just as a, as something out there, but how he catches up us up into his resurrection by regenerating us. Hope fills me in the present. My vision of the future helps me see God here and now. Because I see what my destiny is, I see that God is actively at work, and I can recognize his work. Hope can bring peace in the turbulent present by putting my present, my today, into an eternal context. Hope brings my past in Christ and my future destiny in Christ into my present reality. How do we live into the resurrection? We reflect on what he has done, how he catches us up into it, and where he is going with that. And that's how we navigate our life. So the battle we face could be summarized, if it's even possible to summarize this experiment, this way. Next slide. I have two pasts. Which one will shape me? There's the thief. There's death. There's failure. There's fear. But there's life. There's resurrection. There's restoration. And there's peace. Both of these things are, we are waging a battle to be shaped in a certain way. There is no, the default mechanism is to allow the, the, the past that the thief is bringing to our consciousness to win. This is why peace in the scriptures 
is something we have to fight for. Paul says, the things you have heard and seen and learned and received from me, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. It's not passive. Next slide. I have two futures. Which will shape me? Which future is going to shape how I navigate my world today? Am I stuck in a bleak world? Or is my destiny in Christ what shapes me? Are my possibilities limited by my circumstances in my past? Or are they sketched out by the new heavens and the new earth? Because God is making all things new. Is it that I can't seem to change? Or do I see the power of the Holy Spirit today in me towards me becoming like Jesus, which is my ultimate destiny? And then the next slide. Finally, the last slide. Sorry about all the slide things. I have two presents. How am I going to navigate my life? There's a battle for my present mind between the state of the world and the baggage I bring to it and the finished work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. So as the band begins to come up, I, I, I want to tell you two things that help me. And, and almost every time I'm here in the pulpit, I talk about these things. First, meditate on the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. This is what I've had to begun, begin to do. Years ago, I was reading the parable of the lost sheep. And it finally dawned on me, I'm the lost sheep. And I began to think, who am I in the story? When am I like this person? How is Jesus touching the leper? A picture of him touching me. The leper is untouchable. I'm untouchable. How is he lifting up the woman who is bent over for 18 years? A picture of him touching me. And when I see him restoring people's humanity and affirming the, their value, I ask, can he restore my humanity and affirm my value? You, we have to pray. Well, I have to pray myself into the stories. And so it takes meditation. It's been very encouraging. And then secondly, a, a, a practice that's helpful that we talk a lot about here, Dave has preached on it, is the practice of giving thanks. And, and this dawned on me years ago when I realized thanksgiving was not an emotion, it was an action. And, and I can give thanks, I don't wait till I feel thankful to give thanks. In fact, the way to feel thankful is to practice giving thanks. It clears out the fog in my soul. It clears my spiritual eyesight. And, and literally, I, I, I sometimes start with the most trivial things. Right? Thank you that I hardly ever have to wear a tie. Something, <laughs> something like this. Right? And, and, you know, I don't even have to tuck in my shirt to go to church. Right? Talk about the kingdom of God emerging. Right? It's like, no, I, 
I used to tell people that that my eschatology got all messed up at the emergence of the craft coffee shops and the craft breweries. I thought maybe I'm a post millennial. This could be the this could be the kingdom of God. I but it, it clears my vision so I can see the deep and good things that God is doing for me today as I practice giving thanks. I can see his promises and his fingerprints on my soul more clearly. So I can let the reality of the past work of Christ shape my present so I can see the future and navigate my world today with hope. So the resurrection of Jesus, that reality, that truth, that thing that really happened, and and how he takes us up into his resurrection is is the the foundation on which we can navigate our lives with hope and with joy and with confidence. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're just grateful that these things happened. The resurrection is not just a metaphor. It's the fundamental reality. Everything else is a metaphor for your work in the world. We pray that you would lead us into practices that help us be shaped by the our past in you and not our past in our situations. That our present would be shaped by the reality of your work and that we would see our futures as good and sane and healthy because of your work on our behalf. We are grateful and humbled to be daughters and sons of you. In Jesus' name, amen.